Let us pray. So, Father God, as we turn to your word, we thank you that it is indeed living and active and useful and powerful. So we submit ourselves to you and to your word. We submit ourselves to your spirit as as you move among us and teach us. Lord, we thank you for your very presence with us, that you never leave us or forsake us. Lord, so we just uh, give this time to you and we give ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, if you've been uh, following along in the online devotional we're doing for, uh, through, through the season of Lent, there was a, on day three of the devotional, there was a word I didn't recognize. I don't think I've ever used it or heard it before. It was the word uh, absailed. And so I looked it up, and it means repelling. And, it, and, and uh, I've, I don't have any experience with that. And so as we, you, actually, as we go through um, this devotional, it's written by our friends from the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity. So you're going to see their charming little um, British spellings of words and uh, little, little sayings that you might have to look up. So they don't speak proper American like we do, <laughs> but you'll catch on. So I had to look up this word, uh, abseil, which means to repel. I've never been repelling. I have been rock climbing at a very uh, pivotal point in my life. So uh, Clancy and I were just dating, and we were volunteering at this uh, retreat ministry where youth groups would go up and different youth activities and youth speakers. And it was Clancy and I were assigned to take groups of uh, these teenagers to a rock climbing gym and the indoor rock climbing facility, and we would lead them in that. So when, once everybody was set up, Clancy and I would get to do all this rock climbing, which is a lot of fun. But in a relationship builds trust very quickly. You, if you're rock climbing up, you know, 30 feet on a little rope. Now, okay, and I'm also not built for rock climbing. I'm a bigger guy with not a lot of upper body strength. That's just a recipe for falling off all the time. So, so there's Clancy with, with the belay device and the rope and making, so we had to make sure that the the knots were correct and that the blade device was working and then, and then we would climb and, and then, so anyway, it, it, uh, we bonded quickly over this. Uh, what we did learn though is because there is, if you haven't noticed, there's a little discrepancy in our weight. So I'm a bit heavier and bigger than uh, Clancy is. And so uh, one time I fell off the wall and she came up, she stopped the rope, but she came up and I came down. And, um, and there's way you lower yourself, there's ways to do it. It looks silly, and you're laughing now. It wasn't quite so funny when I'm dangling there. I'm like, you're supposed to be down on the ground, you know? So they had to tether her to the, to the ground sometimes um, so that she could do it. She was, anyway, um, confidence. We're talking about confidence. And actually, over the next, uh, the next six weeks, this week and, and through the rest of Lent, we're, we're going to talk about what, what, is it, what does it mean to have confidence on the front lines of my life? And what would it take? What would it mean to live confidently? And I want to define this term frontline. And we've been, I've been using this language in the life of this church for like eight years. But I, I know that periodically I want to kind of redefine these things so you know what I mean when I say this. But the front line of your life is anywhere you go where there's people who don't know Jesus. My guess is that you don't have to create a front line in your life. That you have one. It might even be in your own home. Certainly in your neighborhood, your place of work. Anywhere you go, I have a front line, you have a front line. There's people in our lives who don't know Jesus, who need to know Jesus. And that God, we believe that God has called everybody to a front line ministry where we are to bring Jesus with us to those places, uh, to people who don't know him. You know, when I talk to people about 
their story of coming to faith in Jesus, uh, it's not often, their story is not often, I decided to go to a church and a pastor you know, preached the gospel and I believed it and that's my story. That's, that is some people's story, but it's not a common story. The more common story is that somebody on, on the front line of their life was sharing Jesus, whether it was a family member or a coworker or a neighbor or somebody who, or a dorm mate or something that was a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and began to introduce somebody to Jesus and then maybe you know, got invited to a church or heard a sermon or something like that. But um, primarily, it's, it's not a professional Christian who's initiating this. It's, it's us on the front lines of our lives um, living this out. But when we do this, when we live this kind of frontline ministry, we're fighting against what we call the sacred secular divide. And what I mean by that is this false notion in our world that there are sacred things and then there are secular things. And so God really cares about sacred gatherings and sacred people and sacred places and sacred time. And then there's the mundane of life and the place I work and the stuff that God really doesn't care about. Uh, It's just not important to God. But we don't believe that. We believe that God cares about everything, including the front lines of your life, that that God is in the process of restoring all of creation and everything. Uh, He's he's restoring it to himself. And I want to prove that to you um, through God's word in Colossians chapter 1. And what what I'm going to do is I want you to listen for the phrase, all things. And when I say all things, I want you to repeat all things. So let's practice that. I'll say all things you say. All things. All things. things. All right, here we go. Colossians 1. The Son, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Okay, so all things, game's over. Do you see the point, though? That that God God is not just in the business of saving souls. And if he was, we would give him all the glory for saving individual people. God is reconciling all things in heaven and earth, including uh, individuals like you and me. But he's, God is restoring all things to himself. So he cares about everything. He cares about your work. He cares about your neighborhood. He cares about our world. And so we, we, we worship a God who, and we're following a God, and we're part of the work of a God who is bringing all things to himself. And that is going to be lived out on the frontline ministry of your life. Two things about your frontline that you need to keep in mind. One is you have to believe it. You have to believe that God, even if you hate the frontline of your life, you hate the places where you, where you work or where you live or anything like that, or if, even if you love it, you have to believe that God has put you there for a reason and that he has good purposes for you in that place. You have to own it. But secondly, you, you have to live fruitfully there and shine your light in that place and not dim that light out. But here's what happens. Even if we believe that God has 
put us where we are. Even if we want to live fruitfully, it's hard. And we can shrink back and and dim that light and kind of diminish our ministry on the front lines uh, because it is difficult. And we don't always live boldly as we would want to. And, And we struggle to live confidently in those places. But I believe, and this is why we're focusing on these topics, that God has given us all that we need to live confidently. And we're going to focus on six of these things over the next weeks. And really, it's six graces of God to us that we can understand and live in our lives. So today we're talking about confidence through being convinced. So just as I had to be convinced when I'm climbing that wall that the, the rope is going to hold, that the knot is tied, that Clancy can work the belay device, that we can live in such a way we are so convinced of God's love We are so convinced of his work and his goodness that we can have this great confidence. And we're going to look at that through this, uh, through the eighth chapter of the book of Romans, an amazing passage of scripture. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the, the early Christians in Rome, and he's just so convinced of God's love and God's goodness. So I want to ask, why was he so convinced and how can we be more convinced of, of God's love. But before we jump into that, I'm going to, the warning or the reminder, and I'll probably repeat this every week. When we talk about living confidently, we are not talking about self-confidence, that you'll leave this place and just be so confident in yourself to live a certain way. That's not what we're talking about. Jeremiah 17.7 reminds us that our confidence is, comes from trusting in God. It says, blessed is is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. So when we talk about frontline confidence, we're talking about our confidence in God and who God is and his faithfulness, not our our faith or our strength or our own self-confidence. So I just we have to always remember that. But today we're going to consider that confidence comes from um, being convinced of, of God's love. So why was Paul so convinced, and where did it, it come from? Well, his whole, the whole notion is that he was convinced of God's love because God gave his son for us. Verse 32, it says, He, who did, this God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I mean, Think about this. God made a world that was good and perfect and harmonious. And human sin, you know, people, people rebel against God. Human sin enters the world and it disorders this perfect and harmonious place where we could perfectly relate to God and one another. And, and God could, when, when, when that happened, God could have just wiped it all out. He could have just made it all disappear. He could have started over. But what did God do? God in his sovereignty, God in his perfect plan, decided that he was going to save and rescue that world and restore it. And he came all the way, including taking on human flesh, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, walking around and lived a perfect life. He died a death that we deserve to die in our place to rescue us. And the question is, are you convinced that God loves you that much? That God would go all the way for you and If he did that, then what else could he possibly do to convince you, to make you confident in his love? Because he went all the way. And that's the point here. When you're convinced that 
that you're so loved that God went all that way, how will he not complete his good work? How will he not be with you? How will he not be faithful? And, and, and then we can live confident. Look at verse 37 through 39. So, and I love this phrase, more than conquerors. Uh, it's, uh, verse 37, it says, In all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angel nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why are you so convinced that none of those things can separate us? Because because God went all the way for us. So all of these things that he names are things that could really, in our everyday lives, make us afraid or anxious. Things like uh, spiritual forces, death, uncertainty of the future. Um, Anything, heights, depths, anything in all creation just kind of covers everything. Instead of these things dragging us into fear and anxiety... He, he says, we're going we're gonna to be able to survive those things, but more than that, we're going to be more than conquerors, which is a powerful statement. We're not just going to get through these things, but these exact things that could cause us great fear are things that are going to actually increase our faith because we trust, because God is so good, he's going to use it all for his glory, for his good purposes. So if you talk to somebody, if you have a conversation with somebody who's been walking with Jesus for a long time, and you ask them about their story and how their faith has grown over the years, my guess is that part of that faith journey is going to include things that are difficult. Troubles, illness, losses, these kind of things. And they'll say, God used those things, that God was with me through those things to actually grow my faith. Um, That God shaped me through these things. These things... Not only did they not destroy my faith, but they made my faith even stronger. Verse 28, that's why Paul says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Or verse 18, I consider our present sufferings not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in in, in us. Just Just as the Father sent the Son to die, but rise to new life and to new glory, that we too, when we go through things, we know that on the other side, God is going to complete his good work and there will be goodness. And he's just so convinced of this. And can you see how confidence, it's not just digging deep within yourself. It's digging in deep to the truth of, of the gospel, the truth of what God has done for us in Jesus and believing it and reminding yourself it and rereading it in your Bible and just continually preaching it to your own heart. That my confidence is not in my faith, but my confidence is in the God who, who it's, it's, it's in the God who loves me, whose unwavering love sustains me, and he will complete his good work. So that's why Paul can say, I am so confident, because God is who he is, he's done what he's done, and he's going to continue to do it. For us, how do we become more convinced of this? How do we grow in our conviction so that we can live confidently? Well, I would say um, it, our relationship with God is like a relationship with other with, with people, where over time people have proven themselves faithful. Where um, if you have a coworker that is just trustworthy, you know, you know, whatever task they have, they're going to complete it. They're going to get it done. You know, you don't have to hover over them. I mean, they just 
This is somebody who is trustworthy, someone with integrity. And God in our lives, same thing, that God is proving himself faithful over and over. But, but even with that, more than that, God gives us his spirit to remind us that that's true. Verse 5 in Romans 8 says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds on what the Spirit desires. So there's a way of living where I'm not just living according to my own flesh, you know, my own, my own desires, my own urges, my own cravings, but I'm, I'm seeking to live guided by the Spirit of God who lives in me. And therefore, we do things that, try, that foster an awareness of God's Spirit in our lives. The spiritual practices, it starts with repentance and faith, but... Um, other spiritual rhythms of prayer, and even things like fasting. So on Ash Wednesday, for those who were here, we talked about the spiritual practice of fasting and how that can heighten our, um, our attention to, to God and the work of his spirit. And at the men's breakfast yesterday, we were talking about the same topic, talking about fasting. And um, it, it's, it's the things that nurture the work of the Spirit, because the Spirit is going to continue to remind us who God is and who we are. I mean, look at verse, this is Romans 8, 14. Look at this. It says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children, now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. The point here is that the Spirit is at work in the life of the believer, reminding you that you're God's child. Therefore, as you're, if you're God's child, just as, just as Christ, you know, just as Christ died and rose again, what, we're going to get through our sufferings and that there's a greater glory on the other side, that there's, we're sharing in that. Um, and if you believe that, and if you're convinced of that, I mean, what then, and again, then the conclusion is then n- nothing in this world that you could see or nothing, nothing seen, nothing invisible, nothing great or small, nothing can separate you from, from God and his love and his good purposes to you, not even the bad things. And, and it's God's spirit alive with us, within us, reminding us that this is true. And then even when we pray, God's Spirit is reminding us and helping us pray. Again, Romans 8.26. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. You know, we, we, know, we're supposed to, we know we're supposed to trust and we're supposed to pray, but sometimes it's, we're in those situations and say, Lord, I don't even know what to pray. And as we seek God, his very Spirit is prompting us to pray and to connect with God. Do you ever think of that? Do, you, do we understand how God-centered our faith is? It doesn't even depend on my own faith. It doesn't depend on my own prayer. That God himself is prompting me to pray. Prayer is, is connecting me to God, but God the Spirit is, is helping me connect. It's, we are so weak, and yet God's Spirit is lifting us up. We're, then you think, okay, now if, I'm, if God is doing those things, I can truly be convinced of who he is, his very presence, and live with confidence.
So here's what you do. Is you leave this place today. And again, it's easy to feel confident when we're singing together, when we're gathered in this place and, and, and connected together, and we affirm each other's faith in a lot of ways, and that's super encouraging. But it is easy to leave here and shrink back and be discouraged, but we remember that God went all the way for us. He sent his son to die on a cross. How will he not, therefore, carry us through whatever we face? And not only has he done it, but his spirit is alive and reminding us that he will continue to do it. He will guide us through those places. He will guide us even in prayer. So we don't shrink back. We don't live in fear. We can live confidently because we are convinced of God's love and God's goodness. Let us pray. So, Father, we thank you that you're this good to us. That your spirit reminds us who you are what you've done and and who we are and what you desire to do in and through us, Lord. So I pray for us as a community as we scatter, as we go from this place and scatter to the places where you have put us this week, places of, of good work and places of joy and of connection, but places of difficulty and places of trouble, Lord, that we trust that you care about those places that you want to use us to be a blessing in those places, to be generous in those places, to be forgiving, uh, to be um, messengers of your truth and your love and of your goodness, and to shine our light in those places, Lord. And I pray that you would give us the strength to do so, Lord, and that you'd be glorified in this. We thank you that you've called us to such a good purpose in this world, Lord, that you are restoring and that you went all the way to save, Lord. So we give you all the glory, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.